0: Welcome to the Echo Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Can we just stand to our feet and welcome Peter as he comes up? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's wonderful. So good to be here with you. Uh, I have the extraordinary privilege of travelling to a whole bunch of different parts of our nation and around the world and I'm just always so thrilled that when you gather with believers we all know how to worship the one we love the most isn't that right and uh, so it's just so good to be worshiping the one that i love dearly and who's made such a big difference in my life and continues to do that one of the projects that i'm working on at the minute is to write a series of four books and uh, so i started that project in january this year i took two weeks of writing which was just a wonderful experience for an introvert ...and uh, we're told to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength... ...and I love the Lord best with my mind. Uh, And he and I love thinking together. And, And so I really appreciate, you know, when I'm with him... ...how he starts to download a whole bunch of stuff. And so the four books are all called Radically Restored. The first one is Radically Restored to Oneness with God. The second is Radically Restored to Oneness with one another... The third is Radically Restored, so as to influence our communities. And the third one is called Radically Restored, and I haven't figured out what the byline is yet. But it's about helping leaders to understand how to release the people that they are ministering to into that sort of a lifestyle. And uh, so if you can think of a catchy little three- or four-word thing, uh, I'll happily pinch it from you. And so um, I'm wanting to try and communicate some of the things that the Lord's been speaking to me about as I've gone on this journey of writing this book, Radically Restored to Oneness, with God, I've nearly finished it, which is nice. But now I'm going to give it to the editor, and that always becomes problematic because they see things that I haven't seen, and I have to adjust it. Uh, but I'm sure it will be good fun. So um, my first thought this morning is this: that spiritual learning is slow learning, unless there's a season of acceleration that God steps into. Human learning, cultural learning, is fast learning. Spiritual learning is evidenced by transformation. Cultural learning or educational learning is evidenced by whether we can repeat it back or not. And so we tend to think of learnt something if we know it in our head. But your spiritual growth is measured by your transformation. It's not measured by what you know in your head. And so if you want to know whether you're growing in Christ, you need to be looking at how different are you now to who you were 12 months ago. Don't think about who you were last week or the week before that. That's too small a space. You've got to think sort of at least six months, if not 12 months. Let me also say this, is that um, cultural learning wants to work on a whole bunch of different things all at the same time. So at school, you do sort of six different subjects, or at university, you're doing four, three or four subjects, or you're at know, TAFE or different places. But God tends to just want to be working in one area of your life At one time because he's wanting it to actually transform you in that space and so that means you have to switch around what you believe on the inside and so this then steps into the idea of do you own ideas or do you rent ideas lots of Christians own the ideas of being a follower of Jesus Uh, sorry they rent the ideas of being a follower of Jesus they don't actually own it let me give you an example we all know that we should forgive people Quick learning, we can repeat it back, I need to forgive you. However, when you've been deeply hurt, can you deeply forgive? When you're deeply hurt, often you want to have some level of punishment or retribution or I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to withdraw until you realise that you actually need to apologise to me. And so spiritual learning is not about renting ideas, it's about owning ideas and the owning of ideas is a process. God loves the process, we want the outcome. And we have to come to grips with the fact that we, we serve a God who actually is taking us on this extraordinary journey. And so Jesus said it like this in, uh, in John chapter 13, verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. The word know there means to have seen or Perceived. It's a different Greek word to the Greek word "know" in Ephesians 3:19, John 17:3, John chapter 8, verse 42, where to know the to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge. This is eternal life to know the one true God. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The Greek word there to know means to know by experience and encounter. Our language is so shallow, it doesn't expand enough like the Greek language did. And so when you read the words in the, in the Bible, you've actually got to actually understand which, which word for know are they talking about. So the word here for know is to have seen or perceived, to know it in your head. You've seen something, you've perceived it, you know, one of the things that I wrestle with as a church leader is why do we feel like we've got to come up with 52 life-changing messages every year when people probably aren't even doing the one that we preached last week, you know, let alone the one that we're doing this week. And, uh, and so, so there's the whole thing about being a follower of Jesus is that it's about our transformation. The journey of maturing as a disciple of Jesus is the discovery of who we are in Christ on the basis of what we've received, not what we know. Let me say it again, the journey of maturing as a disciple of Jesus is the discovery of who we are in Christ based on what we've received, not what we've earned. I said no, but I meant earned. Let me, uh, in Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 17 to 18, we find Paul writing this. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Many of us know that verse quite well, but we haven't actually followed on to that one after that, which says, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. And so here Paul, in the context of this scripture, is actually talking about how we serve Christ, how we follow him, how we mature as a follower of Jesus. And so he says in verse 18, for he who in this way serves Christ, in what way? the way of relying on what we've received, not what we've earned. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. And so Paul here, the big context of of Romans, is the kingdom of God is no longer about gaining your righteousness through your behavior and through what you do. It's not following the rules. It's not eating and drinking. It's not the rules about what you can eat and drink. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy are three things that we have received. We haven't earned them. For he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.19 And my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I've done these things so that your joy may be complete and it might be full. And so this morning you have all the peace you need on the inside, because Jesus dwells in there with you. You have all the peace, the joy and the righteousness that you'll ever need, because you've received it as a gift. And so the journey of becoming a disciple is actually all about learning how to live in what we've received, not what we've earned. But religion has taught us that it's all about what we've earned. Religion has actually made God in its image, whereas God has made us in his image. Religion is really good at teaching you that you have to perform and you have to behave, whereas a relationship with Jesus is about learning to live in what we've already got. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who, they who serve Christ in this way will be approved by God and acceptable to men. So my question for you this morning is, how are you serving Christ? Are you serving Christ out of an idea of having to follow the rules and somehow keep him happy and if you do something wrong, you feel like you're now separated from him? Or are you following him because you're so convinced that you're so loved and you're so valued and you're so cherished that nothing can ever change his positive feeling towards you and he's only ever speaking good things about you? Some of you will have heard me say some of the things that I'm going to say this morning last year when I was here at the school. Let me help you with another observation. Just because you've heard it doesn't mean that you know it. You might know it in your head. You might have heard me saying, oh, yeah, I've heard that before, Peter, I know that. No, 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 I'm asking you, have you been transformed by it? That's what real spiritual knowledge is, is that when I'm under pressure, I actually am able to respond from the fruit of the Spirit, no longer from my own stuff that I developed as I was growing up. Now let me, I'm 63, been married for 41 years, I've got nine grandchildren, I've been following the Lord for 38 years, and I'm still a work in progress. It just never stops. But the joy of it is that I just keep getting closer and closer to Him and closer and closer to other people. And so it's just this wonderful thing about being a follower of Jesus. So the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. So what is the kingdom of God? Just very quickly, the kingdom of God is where the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority exists. And so if the kingdom has been manifest in your world, it's where his supreme rule and reign, his authority is existing. You have surrendered to him in that area of your life. In those areas of your life where you don't respond like Jesus would respond, then the kingdom of God is not in that part of your world. It's in you, but you're still learning how to live in that part of the kingdom. And so it's where we surrender to him. He's Lord, capital L, where Lord, little l. You are actually a Lord. Jesus he said that he gave to us a dominion called the earth and we're meant to rule over it and subdue it. He gave us a free will. We all have our own little kingdoms that we're defending. Kids are learning this from a very young age, from the time they're two and they say, no, it's their kingdom that they are now ruling in your presence. (laughs) Then they grow up and they're sitting on the back seat. Well, I used to in cars, they're all separated now, but they used to say, don't you come across that part of the line and that's my part of the back seat. Or these are my toys, this is my kingdom. We all have our own little. We're all we're all lords. We've all got this this part of our lives where we say this is mine, but Lord Capital L turns up and says, "You know that bit that you think's yours? Well, I'm actually going to ask you to surrender that. Like, Don't you dare! That's mine." I want to hang on to my sulking right now. I want to hang on to my unforgiveness right now. I want to hang on to my discouragement right now. And we pull it in, but he says, "No, we well, actually can I help you with that." No, you can't. The kingdom of God is where the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority exists. And so the activity of the kingdom, the thing that God is trying to do in all of us, is to restore things back to the way he originally intended them to be. This is why we invite people to start walking with Jesus, because we've always meant to be in the family of God. We lost that relationship when Adam and Eve exchanged fathers in the garden. Jesus' primary, primary reason for coming was not to get you out of hell, but it was to get you into his family that you would be in his family. And so, so God is restoring everything back to the way he originally intended it to be. That's why we pray for sickness and we want people to be healed because God never intended mankind to be sick. It's a part of the fall. And so what we're doing as followers of Jesus is that we are allowing the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority to exist so that we can restore things back to the way that God originally intended them to be, which is called Shalom. Shalom is the word that means to flourish. It's not just peace, but it means to flourish in every area of your life. And so we are carriers of shalom. We are people who carry shalom into people's worlds because we actually want to be people of the kingdom. And so God's original purpose was that we would be created in his image. Let us make man in our image. And so whatever part of you is not reflecting the image of God, that's where the Holy Spirit wants to help you. That's where the Holy Spirit is actually at work inside of you. And that's this 40 days, whatever those words are that go after it, that you're all involved in, negativity and whatever that other one. I, haven't, I didn't listen closely enough, but whatever that is. The Holy Spirit, God's original intent is that you would look like Jesus, think like Jesus, act like Jesus, respond like Jesus. That was his original intent, that we'd be made in his image. But that image has got marred. This is why in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, we find Paul writing in the context. So the context of Romans chapter 8, very quickly, is that in verse 14, we're told we're children of God. But then we're told as children of God, we're going to suffer. He talks about that from verse 18 down to 25. And then he says in verse 26 that we're going to have weaknesses. And so the context of verse 29 is that in the context of suffering and weakness, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So the context is, is that when you're in suffering and when you're in weakness, the process of the Holy Spirit is to actually get to conform you to the image of Christ, so you're not conformed to whatever you... Believe those sufferings are saying about you or whatever those weaknesses are saying about you, but you're conformed to the image of Christ. You're not conformed to your little Lord world that you're hanging on to. No, you're being conformed to your big L Lord, which he wants to open you up to. Because this is is part of restoring everything back to the way that God originally intended to be. His original intent was that when people looked at you, they would see him. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of God. And it's a work where he is really so much in love with you that he wants to help you step into this space. And so we've got to understand what it is that we've received so that we learn to live in what we've received because when we live in what we've received, then we start to be restored back to the image that God always intended us to have, not the image that we created as we dealt with our pain and suffering and weaknesses as we were growing up. And this image that we've created of ourselves, and this, that image has got, we want. You, I'm happy for you to see part of the image I've created for myself, but we all have these areas where we're ashamed and guilty, and just about everybody in the room will have the thought, if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. We all have these places called no-go areas, where we just don't want anybody to get in there and know that about us. All those closest to us sometimes see it, but then we try and defend it the holy spirit is is really his his purpose is that you would be one of the many brethren that Jesus was the firstborn of your destiny is to be conformed to the image of christ and so we then need to understand what it is that we've received and most of us haven't taken enough time to think about what we've received and so if you have a bible with you this morning now it becomes legal for you cuz i've quoted it but you want to go and read it so galatians chapter 3 verse 26 if you want to turn there On your electronic device and stop social networking, that'd be great. For you all, sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, you have received the adoption into the family of God. So we're not talking about what you've received, not what you've earned. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For they that serve Christ in this way are acceptable to God and approved by men. And so the kingdom of God is not about the rules and regulations. It's not about us trying to get God to like us. It's not about what we've earned, but it's about what we've received. So the question is, what have we received and what is it that I'm learning to live inside of? And what is it that I'm escaping from that I feel that I've had to earn? When I was here last year in the school, I used this illustration, so I'm going to use it again because it's powerful, and I just quickly want to lay the foundation for those of you that weren't able to be here. So I'll take you, and I'll take you, and I'll take Justin. If you, my three of you can come, that would be great. And over here, you're going to hold hands with one another in a circle, and you're going to get over your personal space issues. Okay, all right? So this is the Father, this is the Holy Spirit, and this is the Son. Normally I choose a woman for the Holy Spirit, but I thought that might be too controversial today, because I actually think, I do think the Holy Spirit is a woman, personally. But anyway, God made us... No, don't go there, Peter, that's another message altogether. All right. so when you got born again, what do you think happened to you? So you were far away from God, Uh, you started to become aware of God, and you, you know, sort of uh, were started to get interested and then some Christians came into your world or there might have already been Christians in your world, a mother or father or a grandmother that was praying for you and you find yourself starting to get interested and you're getting drawn and then one day you realise you're actually separated from this beautiful person called God and you make a decision that you want to ask for forgiveness of your sin and to be born again. So what do you think happened when that took place? We've been used to living our lives prior to this point based on rules. People love me when I do what's right and they don't treat me well when I do what's wrong. I'm punished when I do what's wrong, I'm valued when I do what's right. And so when we get born again, we think we get connected to Jesus because we ask Jesus to come into our heart. But then we come to church and hang around Christians and we begin to learn all the things that we shouldn't do. It's called sin. And so because we're used to love being offered on the basis of when I do what is right, I'm loved. When I do what I'm wrong, as I'm punished. We bring that idea with us into this relationship. And then when I do something that's wrong, I feel like I'm separated from God. But the church is helpful. It teaches us a whole bunch of things to get the ledger right. If we pray more, if we read the Bible more, if we fast more, then they'll start to like us again because we're doing what's right. But then we do something else that's wrong and we feel separated. So now I think I actually heard them say, if I double tithe, that really impresses God. And so, so I begin to double tithe for a few weeks and I begin to fast for longer. And then I feel like God must be impressed with me and I get connected again. My question for you this morning, is this you? There'll be enough people in the room this morning that this is how you actually relate to God. Because you're thinking that it's about what you've earned, not what you've received. Because we're used to getting love on the basis of what we've earned, not just being loved unconditionally. So, what really happened when you got born again was that you were adopted into the family of God. You are in here. This is where you are today, and nothing can get you out of here unless you decide to walk away from God. This is why Paul was able to write uh, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So, you brought all of your crap in here. You brought all of your brokenness, you brought all of the stuff that doesn't work for you and it's right in here. Why is it in here? Because these are the only people that can help you to get set free. These are the only ones that can help you know what you don't know. The the crazy thing is that our heart knows things the head will never understand because we carry pain and hurt. And so that's what this one, no. Yes, you were the Holy Spirit, weren't you? You were the one I wanted to be a girl. But anyway. That's his role. It's our counsellor. And this is the role of the father is to say, you're awesome, I believe in you, I always have, I'm just so glad you're back in my family, I think you're awesome and you're great and fantastic. And Jesus just says, let's go and kick the footy. Okay, you guys can go and sit down. We can thank the Godhead, thank you. That image is so incredibly important for you to own and not just rent. This is why you can come before the throne of grace in time of need and ask for help. Because you're always loved, you're always valued, you're always cherished. John chapter 17, uh, verse 23, puts it this way. Jesus is praying. He's praying just before he dies. He's praying something that's really important to him and significant to him. Verse 23, he's praying, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. There are so many themes in there. The one I want to pull out is even that you and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus does not love you on the basis of your behavior. He loves you because you are his child and you breathe. We need to take moments in our spiritual development and our spiritual growth to actually meditate on these things and think what does it actually mean to me that I'm a child of God? I hear the preachers say it all the time, and I read about it in books, and, but what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you that you've been adopted into the family of God? What does it mean to you that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus? That thought blows every circuit in our brain because we are so convinced that love is based on how I behave. But my Bible says God is love. God loves you because of who he is, not what you do. And so we're discovering who we are in Christ on the basis of what we've received, not what we've earned. They that serve Christ in this way are approved by God and acceptable to men. Because when you actually understand the truth of what I just illustrated here, the new commandment in John chapter 13, uh, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. Jesus rewrote the two, the, the second of the two great commandments of the Old Testament. It was love one another as you love yourself. We don't love people very well in the way we love ourselves because we love ourselves on the basis of behaviour as well. We think we're okay when we're doing what's right, and we're not so sure about ourselves when we're doing what's wrong. And so then we love everybody else that way. But, but Jesus said, no, love one another as I have loved you. And so it's really important that we actually understand how he loves us, that I'm, I'm actually in the family of God. And in, in here, he brought me in knowing all of my failings, all of my weakness, all of my suffering. That's what Paul is reaching for in Romans chapter 8, when he says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that I know, I know, that I know, that I know when I get angry, when I spit the dummy, when I get discouraged, when I want to hurt somebody because of the way they've treated me, when I go to pornography, when I overeat, when I tell lies, when i am being penny-pinching about my money, all of that stuff, God is not embarrassed about that and he is not put off by that. I'm not saying that he thinks it's okay, I'm just saying it's a prison that you're in that he wants to set you free from. It's a prison that you've created out of your unbelief and out of your doubts and out of your pain when you were growing up and you've put yourself in that prison and you want to keep yourself there. You want to be Lord, little L, in that rather than going, God, I open up to you because you're the only one that can help me to be different in this space in my world. And I can open up to you because of what I have received not because you're impressed with me, not because I've done something to really make you happy, you're always happy with me. You're always impressed with me. You're not impressed by some of my behaviour, but you're impressed with me. And those two things can be quite different because if you define yourself on the basis of your behaviour, you'll do yourself a very bad disservice because you won't understand what godly love is. You're now living inside of a human love again. God's always impressed with me because he made me. It's just that I've drifted away from the image that he now is trying to restore me to because the kingdom of God is all about restoring things back to the way they were originally intended to be, that I would be made in God's image, that I am to be conformed to the image of Christ. Inside of this idea, we find again something about what we've received in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. In Acts chapter 26, Paul, telling his story to Agrippa, says the following that he's now been called to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of satan that they may receive forgiveness of sins may receive not what we've earned but what we receive. we receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who have been sanctified by faith in me so there's two things here that we've received forgiveness of sins and inheritance the inheritance piece is about four messages that hang out here i don't have time for it today but I just want to take a little bit of time to talk about forgiveness. Your forgiveness is complete. Jesus just didn't declare you not guilty. He declared you innocent. And there is a big difference. It's not that you're not guilty. You are innocent because of the blood of Jesus. So in those spaces where I don't do well in life, in those spaces where I don't respond the way that I want to respond, because Jesus, the Father sees me through the blood of Jesus, he says, I'm innocent. It's not a question of guilt or not guilty. I'm innocent. I'm innocent because of the work of Christ, but I still have stuff that has to be transformed. But because we've learnt love on the basis of behaviour, if I do what is right, you'll love me. If I do what's wrong, you'll reject me, punish me, marginalise me, whatever you experienced. We tend to, see, this is where religion has made God in its image. Because religion is all about behaviour management. And we've made God in that image. But the image of the New Testament of God is that he accepts us because all of our sins have been forgiven. He doesn't count any of our transgressions against us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, I think. That all of our sins and trespasses are forgiven. God is not relating to you on the basis of your behavior. He's relating to you on the basis that you are his child and you're his creation. He wants to help you get set free from the prisons that cause you to behave in ways that are not godly. But that's because he's restoring you to the image of God. It's not because he's upset with you and your failure. You've got to understand the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is trying to restore you back to the way that God originally intended to be. So he's, he's actually trying to set you free. That's why Jesus came, to set us free. He didn't come to punish us for our failure. He came and said, no, I accept you entirely, but you're living inside of some prisons that I actually, you don't like them. I don't think they're good for you. So let's work together to see, get you out the other side of that, so that you can look more like Jesus. And so it's not, it's not a demanding, it's an invitation The New Testament is all about invitation. Will you invite me into this space to help you? And he comes rushing in. He says, finally, you've invited me into that place you're ashamed of. I'm so pleased to be in here with you. I'm really happy to be in here with you. God's always an optimist. It's like two kids, a pessimist and an optimist, and uh, and the parents got them Christmas presents, and the optimist was told his present was up in his bedroom. He went up to his bedroom, he opened the door, and it's full of horse manure. In some churches I can say shit, but I probably can't say that here. So, so it's full of horse manure. And the optimist dives in and he says, if there's this much horse manure, there has to be a horse in here somewhere. And God's an optimist. He dives into the manure of your life, in brackets, whatever word you want to put there. And he says, there's got to be something good in here, because I made you. There's got got to be something good in here, so let's just deal with all the stuff that makes this manure and get rid of that in you so that the manure's not there and it's just you and me and my image in you. He doesn't open the door and go, oh, flip, that stinks and closes the door. (laughs) How did you ever allow all of that to be in there? When we know what God's up to, it's so much easier to cooperate with Him. (laughs) Rather than hiding stuff from Him, we go, all right, I'm an open book. I know you only have my best interest at heart, and so this must all It all turn out to be good. And so Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's saying be dead to behaviour management and be alive to belief management. Because all of your poor behaviour is connected to wrong believing. Behaviour is always the echo of belief. When you get angry, you choose to get angry. Nobody makes you get angry. Some people are really great at creating the environment where that choice is much easier for you to make. (laughs) But it's your choice. When we get angry, we're believing something. The behavior of anger is always connected to a belief. I believe I'm threatened. I believe I have to defend myself. I believe I have to prove that I'm right. I believe that you are doing something to hurt me and I'm going to hurt you first. Behaviour is always the echo of belief. Every behaviour is always the echo of belief. And so the New Testament is all about belief management. The Old Testament was about behaviour management. Religion is always about behaviour management. But the New Testament is about belief management. The the 12-step programs for drug addiction and alcohol and gambling all understand this. If you can change what a person believes, then they'll change how they behave. And this is how God works. And so the Holy Spirit is wanting to help you identify the belief that's connected to your poor behaviour. And in identifying the belief, he's going to ask you, would you change it? Would you line up with what he says? Would you take your little Lord belief and surrender it to big Lord L and what he thinks about you, what he thinks about life? Right. And so he's asking us to step into belief management. One of the best ways to discover about what you're believing is that a lemon, when you squeeze it, you get lemon juice. An orange, when you squeeze it, you get orange juice. A Christian, when you squeeze us, you should get Jesus juice. But when you're squeezed by somebody rejecting you, when you're squeezed by somebody lying about you, when you're squeezed by a bad health report, when you're squeezed and not have enough money to pay the bills, does Jesus juice come out? You say, well, what does Jesus juice look like? It's pretty simple. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, or the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. And so, so if you're wanting to go on this journey and accept what I'm saying today, let me also say this, good preaching should, isn't to be agreed with, good preaching is to be wrestled with. And so I don't mind stepping on people's corns, because I just want you to wrestle with it. If you agree with it, I haven't done a very good job. You can agree with some of it, but not all of it, So if you want to go on a belief management journey, which is the one that the Holy Spirit's asking you to go on, because when you get squeezed and you respond from the fruit of the Spirit, you don't look like Jesus. And we are understanding that the original intent of God, the original purpose of God was that we would be made in his image. And so if the activity is the kingdom is to restore everything back to the way that God originally intended it to be, then he's trying to restore your image back to looking like Jesus in every situation. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do for you. And he does it with love and with kindness and generosity and laughter. Well, he laughs at us a lot of the time. He's a, you know, we think that he's angry with us, but he's actually laughing at us, going, what, what are you doing that for again? Right. Right. Come on, I thought we were able to get through this one. Let's, if you want to do that, that's fine, but I've got a better way. Would you like to join me on it, in it? And so the Holy Spirit's invitation is when you get squeezed and Jesus' juice doesn't come out, you now, there's a belief in there that you can find with him and that he'll want to help you to change. And so the the whole thing about walking with God is that we're not living through a set of rules, which is all about doing, but we're living from our new identity, which is all about becoming. Maturing as a disciple is not about doing better, it's about who you're becoming. And God is wanting to teach us how to live from who we are, not towards what we think God wants of us. He's trying to teach us what we've received and trying to show us what we've received. If, if this, this week amongst all of your fasting of those two things that I can't remember, he's going to want to teach you to think about yourself the way he thinks about you. He's, he's going to want to teach you to realize you are innocent. You're not guilty. Because where you feel guilty, you'll hide from him but you're completely innocent. He made you innocent because of the work of the cross. And so to actually stop and think, what does it mean to be a son of God, a child of God? Do I really believe that I'm in the Godhead and nothing can get me out of there? And that when I'm in there, he's really delighted to see my mistakes if I'll only offer them to him so that he can help set me free from the prison of belief that I've got. Are you able to accept that he genuinely loves you, he really does love you the same way, the Father loves you the same way that he loves Jesus? Or is your idea of love so bound up with doing right and doing wrong that you you just can't quite climb in there yet? If you can't climb in there, he wants to help you in there. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about what we've earned. It's not about the rules that we follow. It's about righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For they that serve Christ in this way are acceptable to God and approved by men. How are you serving Christ? When other people look at you in your workplace, in your family, in your school, in your university, wherever you are, when they look at you, how do they see you serving Christ? Not serving Christ as on standing on a soapbox and preaching hell and damnation. That's the last thing you should be doing because God wants you to reconcile people to him, not scare the living daylights out of them. Eugene Peterson, uh, in a very beautiful way, has taken Matthew chapter 11 verses 27 and 30 and summarized this opportunity that I'm unpacking for you this morning. The consequence of living inside of what we've received, not what we've earned, is that we're learning to live our whole lives in response to the love of God. My whole life, I'm living it in response to the love of God. I know when I fail, he still loves me because he is love, and his love for me is not based on what I do. And so when I don't do what, when I suffer, when I've got weaknesses, when things aren't going right, when I'm squeezed and Jesus' juice doesn't come out, I respond by understanding I am loved by God, I'm a child, I'm in the kingdom, sorry, I'm in the family, and he loves me just like he loves Jesus. And so my whole life now is about living in response to that love. We're growing and maturing from a lifestyle of relational learning. That God has invited us into this relationship that we might learn about who he always imagined us to be and who he always destined us to be. And it's a, it's a lifestyle of relational learning. I'm in a relationship with a God who cares about me so deeply that relationally he wants to show me. You know, when I raised my three children, I got nine grandchildren, I said uh, before, I, I'm relationally wanting to help them do things well. I, you know, with my kids, I didn't throw shoes in front of them when they were 18 months old with shoelaces and say, Tie your shoes up. Why can't you tie them up? Well, I can't tie them up because, one, I'm too young, and two, you've never showed me. All right, I'll wait till you're two and a half, and then I'll show you. God doesn't throw stuff in front of us and demand us to behave in certain ways. No, relationally, He walks with us and teaches us what it is that we need to know that we might be in His image. He's a good God, He's a good Father through relational learning. Your relationship with God is not based on what you do. Your relationship with Christ is based on who he is in you. And so Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Jesus resumed, so this is Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation. Coming out of father and son, intimacies and knowledge. Two really important words intimacy, relationship, and knowledge, spiritual knowledge, not just human knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired? Eugene Peterson genuinely knew the God that we serve in a way that he wants all of us to know how to walk with him. Let me finish by just making some observations this morning. Jesus didn't die to give you value. He died because you are valuable. Jesus didn't die to give you value. He died because you are valuable. Listen to and receive the dignity and honour he has given you. Learn how to receive the dignity and honor that He has given to you. Learn how to receive it. Learn how to embrace it. Learn how to live inside of it. As I said before, God loves process, but we love the outcome. We're on such a quick journey to try and arrive at destinations, but He loves the process. And so the process requires us to be curious, not certain. I've discovered that great followers of Jesus are always curious. They're never looking for certainty. They're just curious because it's a mystery. God's a mystery. Christ in us is a mystery. Remain curious. Don't reach for certainty. Certainty will come through revelation, but it comes because of curiosity, not because you've thought your way through it. Look at, look for, look, live inside of the mystery, don't look for mastery. Live inside of the mystery that you're loved and you're valued and you're cherished, even though you keep getting things wrong. Don't try and master your behaviour. Live in the mystery of Christ in you and you in Christ. You're one with him and how it is that he wants to transform you into his image. And then finally, learn to live with patience, not resolution. I've just learned that I have to be patient with God. He takes a long time to act suddenly. It takes a long time to sort of work some things out in my life, but I need to Persevere. My final thought is found in Romans chapter 5 this morning. And uh, Paul, again, writing to us in this most profound letter, uh, says in verse 3, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. The word tribulation here means inner turmoil. Those of us that have been around the kingdom long enough who know about the great tribulation, and we think tribulation is about the bad things that happen in our circumstances, the Greek word here is actually inner turmoil those places where we don't do so well, those places where we're in prison. And so he says, uh, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. So he's saying, I exalt when I'm squeezed by life and Jesus' juice doesn't come out. I go, yippee, an opportunity. An opportunity for freedom. An opportunity to discover who I am in Christ. An opportunity for God to be at work in me. Yeah, I mean, just consider it all joy, my brethren, when you're counting various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith sounds familiar, doesn't it, James chapter 1. And so we go, uh, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. The key to this is that we need to stay the course. We need to stay in a place where, even when my circumstances are telling me that life isn't all that i want it to be, that I'm in Christ and he's at work, and it's all going to be good. It's all going to work out. I just have to persevere. How long do I have to persevere for, Peter? Yeah, well, how long's a piece of string? All I know is if you hang in there and you learn to live from what you've received, not what you've earned, you will find that the Holy Spirit has ways of getting you out of those prisons and into freedom that you never thought were possible. Let's all stand. Eugene Peterson's cry to us is keep company with me and I'll teach you how to live lightly and freely. Doesn't speak of a God who wants to punish you, it speaks of a God who wants to set you free. And so right now I just want you to think you've been squeezed by life this week, everybody in the room has. Justin called it a list. We've all got our lists, everybody else is around us have got their list of stuff. Just think about one area in your life where you've been squeezed this week where you didn't respond as well as you'd like to. Maybe it was on the way here to church. Not unusual. Maybe it was when you saw that person in the room that you still haven't reconciled with. Where you were squeezed this week and you didn't respond the way you wanted to respond, just bring that to the surface of your heart. In there, the Lord wants you to learn how to live freely and lightly and he's happy for you to keep company with him in that space. And so I'm going to just pray, and as I pray, I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit would help you to open your heart up to allow the Lord to give you wisdom and revelation and insight about what you're believing so that your behaviour will change. So Father, right now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking for myself, I'm thinking, I'm like the rest of them, Lord, I'm thinking of what squeezed me this week and I didn't respond so well. So I'm asking on behalf of all of us, Lord, would you come into those parts of our lives because we want to live freely and lightly there and not carry the burden of our disappointment, of our discouragement, of our shame, of our sense of not getting it right. And so, Lord, I thank you that you want to keep company with that part of each of us to show us what we're believing that we might be set free. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to be at work in our lives over the coming hours and days because you're wanting to restore us back to the image that we lost in the garden. You're wanting us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, would you give us insight and wisdom and revelation that would allow us to live in the freedom that you've won for us and learn to live from what we've received and stop measuring everything by what we think we have or haven't earned. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate it.